0: sifter.com.au Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media and you meet creative teams from all around the world. Now cast your mind back to some of the earliest games you remember playing. Uh, for me, it was that green and pretty blurry, let's be honest, original Game Boy? Huddling under a lamp in the night as you try to play it and diving into a sprite based adventure was one of those things that was a real formative experience for me. And I'm sure that's a feeling my guests can relate to. That's Joshua Halloran from Critical Games, who's just crafted a piece of modern nostalgia. It's a sequel, it's called 8 Bit Adventures 2. Joshua, thanks so much for joining me on Lightmap. Thanks for having me,
1: and thanks for that incredible intro. I definitely know the feeling. I, <laughs> many a night underneath that uh, lamp trying to see the Game Boy screen.
0: Or driving in the back of the car, trying to get the lamps on the, as the oh, road comes yeah. past. It's, it's an incredible experience, and one that you might be able to relive if you play a bit of 8-bit adventures too. Before we start counting the bits on just two hands, let's find out what's been making the news this week on the latest episode of Walkthrough, which is Sifter's news podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomais.
0: And I'm Kyle Paletto.
1: And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, SIFTA's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March.
0: We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview.
1: Roguelike deck builder Balatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content.
0: A $2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators.
1: And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here.
0: You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website SIFTA.com.au every sunday join the sifter community on discord at sifter.com.au forward slash discord all right i've blown the dust out of all of my cartridges and i'm ready to play joshua can you tell me what is 8-bit adventures 2 Okay, so Ape Adventures
1: 2 is really uh, a new attempt to create a game in the mold of, say, classic Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest or Chrono Trigger um, and, you know, basically take the best elements from some of those games and also craft a sort of fresh story, a fresh world, a fresh experience around it. Um, So a a new game with an old style, essentially, is the goal.
0: And can you take me right back to what are the, some of the formative experiences you had playing that 8-bit era of games? What were the things that you were putting hours and hours and hours into?
1: I mean, I, it's funny, right, because I, I sort of started with N64 and PS1 and then worked my way back through my cousin because uh, he had a lot of fondness for the, you know, the old classics and that sort of thing, um, which weren't that old then, but still you know, certainly looked a bit older than the PS1 era. Um, so I really had a, a pretty good education. Um, obviously, I was part of the Pokemon generation, so that was a big 8-bit RPG. Um, but like I played, you know, Final Fantasy One. I, um, I played Dragon Quest One, uh, games like that early on, um, which had a had a big impact on me. And yeah, you know, that continued also playing like 16-bit classics and the PS1 games that were coming out, and the you know all the way into the PS2. Um, Really, though, like I, I got into game collecting uh, in my sort of late teens and early adulthood, and that really is what stoked a, a greater understanding and love of 8-bit RPGs. Um, and so that is what really inspired me to, to try and create the 8-bit Adventures games in the first place, because I was really just enamored with, uh, I guess, the limitations that these games were working under, uh, and yet what they achieved despite those limitations.
0: Can you tell me, what was that first stage like for you when you decided, I might just try, put a few bits and pieces uh, into something? How, how did it all start?
1: Well, it's, it's funny, actually, because uh, the, the original 8 bit Adventures started in 2012. I was trying to get funding for a more ambitious project, and that was taking a really long time to go through. Uh, and so I started working on just something that I could sort of make myself, to some degree anyway. Um, and... Uh, I just came up with these really simple core ideas about, you know, in in that game, my idea was that, okay, the world gets drained of color and you sort of restore the colors. Uh, Okay, what's a simple way to to approach that? Okay, well, you know, we could use an 8-bit color palette. Um, So you've got very, like, distinct and vibrant colors and a limited number of them. So it's very clear what, you know, you're restoring. Um, And that sort of spiraled out of that idea. I'd also, you know, been looking at a lot of games, like uh, uh, at the time, uh, Earthbound Beginnings, um, I, I was really enamored by some of the cutscenes that I saw in that game um, and, and I really wanted to sort of, you know, try and, try and sort of mimic that but add a little bit of a modern spin um, So it, it really started from very humble beginnings, just a bit of experimentation and then the ideas sort of grew and grew and grew and a, a lot of the ideas were inspired by like, my passion for collecting as well um, but it, it sort of gets into more spoilery territory for the first game uh, to discuss a lot of that <laughs>
0: Well, there's a meta aspect to both of these games really, isn't there? It's it, You know, they're called 8-Bit Adventures and, and part of it is the experience of knowing what it was like to play at that time. Can you tell me about sort of playing with nostalgia both in the gameplay but also the memories that people had as they were playing these games?
1: Yeah, it, I think a lot of it um, both for me and also just the whole team is just that we, we all grew up on a lot of these games. And so I think without even realising sometimes you just sort of inject some of the things that have inspired you. Uh, into the project, and you know, it, it's been funny a lot of the time because you do see a lot of people say, "Oh, this reminds me of this game or that game," and yeah, you know, that one wasn't necessarily a inspiration for us, but it's obviously just a, a general um, sense that you know the game just evokes an era. I guess is is a really way to say it, and so and it really encompasses a lot of uh, titles from that era. Um, I try and be really careful with nostalgia because you don't want to just be sort of the referential game. Uh, you know, you want to tell a story that is actually going to mean something. You want to connect with people on its own merits. Um, but really the idea was to sort of wrap a story with some somewhat meta elements, but um, you know, like wrap it in this like nostalgic appearance, which is quintessentially video gamey um, and, and sort of use the, the rules of a video game and apply them to a fantasy world. Um, you know, so in *Ape Adventures 2, our villain is the glitch. And that's obviously based on the concept of video game glitches, which, you know, when you break it down, uh, it's something that shouldn't exist, but has the power to do, you know, seemingly impossible things. It can distort the game world in all kinds of ways. Um, and so when you start sort of put, you know, putting that into a fantasy world, you get this interesting, uh, you know, kind of, uh, well, maybe not a new idea entirely, but I, I felt like it was something unique uh, that we could play around with a lot. Um, so I, I guess basically sort of using the framework of a video game uh, and placing that into a fantasy world and also playing with player expectations, uh, playing with the fact that players know that they're playing a video game, uh, even if the characters in the game aren't aware of that fact. So yeah, just sort of playing with a relationship, I guess, between the player and the game.
0: I'm really curious, when you design a game that feels retro, a lot of that experience is – there's sort of a fuzziness to what the reality of playing those games was like – Often, if I try to recommend old games that I enjoyed as a child to people who have never played them at all, they bounce off immediately because they are really arcade. Uh, You know, they have these strange systems that you had to pour through manuals for hours and hours and hours in order to play them. Um, And I'm wondering, what is it um, when you were trying to design something that had to evoke that feeling of a game from the past, um, but also play like a modern game that releases in 2023? What were some of the balancing acts um, when you were designing the games?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because you know if you if you actually go back and really study a lot of those old games, the reason that people bounce off of them is because they make they make sort of antithetical design decisions a lot of the time, and usually that was to increase the length. Um, so they make decisions that aren't really in the in the game or players' best interest. They just do it because obviously you had to hit a certain length target. You had to you had limited resources. You had limited space on the cartridge. Um, so we don't have those limitations. Um, you know. No one's renting Ape Adventures 2 from Blockbuster and you've got to keep it, uh, you know, got to keep them uh, coming back or anything like that. So um, I guess what it really comes down to is looking at those decisions that were made and from there deciding, okay, well, what makes the experience more fun and what detracts from it? Um, You know, so one of the things is that Ape Adventures 2 doesn't have random battles. um, And that was really done because it just means that we can control the number of encounters that the player gets into. So combat never becomes too repetitive or too overwhelming. Uh, You know, I can put a set number of enemies in a dungeon and then I can say, okay, so the player's going to encounter roughly like five to seven fights or something like that, compared to something like Final Fantasy 1 where you could get a fight every single step, basically. Um, And and so things like that, it's really just about, I guess, um, you know, smoothing over the parts of the experience which do cause people to bounce off those old games. Um, and you know really, I guess using some more modern know-how of, of what people enjoy and, and what people don't. Um, to, to, yeah, really achieve something that's that feels mo- uh, feels retro but but, you know, provides a modern experience underneath all that veneer <laughs>
0: Well, can you tell us uh, what is it that people will be playing? Explain this uh, for a modern audience who might be playing an RPG. Maybe they weren't around in the eight-bit or even the sixteen-bit era. Um, what sort of game will they experience, and, and what will you be doing to to finish the game?
1: So, I mean, at at its core, it's it's uh, a story driven experience. Uh, you follow you know several characters uh, on a, a world spanning journey, um, uh, you know across boats and airships and you know all sorts of things like that. Uh, hunting down this new villain called The Glitch um, and trying to stop him from doing, you know, various villainy things. Um, and But really, at its core, it's, it's a game about exploring the world, uh, following these characters on their personal journeys, uh, engaging in turn-based combat, which certainly isn't something that you see in a lot of games nowadays, but, you know, for anyone that's played Octopath Traveler or Persona or anything like that, I, I think, uh, you know, people get the gist. Um and uh, yeah, it's 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 just really like following a story while also having the freedom to explore a world, engage in battles. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a JRPG. <laughs>
0: um, can you tell me when you were developing the sequel, what were some of the things that you learnt from the first game that you thought we need to sort of smooth out or improve upon um, when delivering that sequel?
1: Everything is <laughs> the simple answer. Everything really. You know, uh, I I learned so much uh, from from doing that first one. Um, And, you know, people were very kind, uh, like, on Steam in their responses, and that's what really made me want to create a sequel. Um, But I I definitely recognized a lot of things to do with, you know, things like pacing, things like difficulty, or particularly like the difficulty curve, Um, you know, having more options, making battles, you know, maybe more, have more depth. Uh, and more complexity, but also not overwhelming the player either, um, and, and really just creating a much larger experience that feels more polished. Um, you know, the, the first eight-bit adventures was a was a solid attempt, but it, it it had very limited budget and it definitely had some limited know-how behind it. Um, so it's it's not the most polished experience in a lot of ways. But I, when I look back on it now, anyway, um, and so I really just wanted to create something that was. More in line with the the quality of you know a lot of those classic sort of Square games and Enix games and that sort of thing, um, and really kind of hit hit the height uh, that you know those games hit for me.
0: Do you feel like this is the game you were trying to create the first time round? Are you closer to that original vision uh, with this sequel?
1: I think I've, I've I've moved far beyond like that original vision is is what I'd say. So yeah, it's it's definitely the game that we set out to create. I mean. We started on this in 2015, uh, mid 2015, after the first game came out. Uh, so it's been a long time, but but really, like the original plan is is what we've stuck to the entire time, and it's it's pretty much held fast. Um, you know, it, it's it has uh, you know really served as a good foundation, and uh, yeah, it, it took a lot longer than I expected to carry out. But yeah, no, I, I think 8 Adventures 2 is definitely. It's the game that I've always wanted to make. It is really the, the game which which takes a lot of inspiration from the games that I loved, but also feels like it, it's, it can stand apart as its own thing as well.
0: What kept you working on the game for as long as you did? Because I can understand lots of people start projects and they never quite get to the finish line. You've reached that finish line. How did you get there?
1: Uh, probably a slight dose of insanity, to be honest. Uh, I, I would never recommend that anyone work on a game for seven years, but... I, I think it's just that when you work on something and you feel really passionate about it and you see it coming together and every time you take a step forward, it feels, um, it feels like it is coming together. Like it feels like you've got something special on your hands. Um, I think that really helps to, to put things in perspective and be like, okay, you know, we are going to get to a finish line. It is going to be the project that we want it to be. Um, but it is hard to keep yourself motivated. And there are certainly times where my motivation did suffer. Um, and it, it, there's not really an easy catch-all answer to, to dealing with that. Um, but I, I think, I, I guess really what it comes down to is work on something that you are passionate about, that you really have like a personal interest and desire to work on, um, work, you know, try and find really great people to work with, uh, cause that definitely helps too. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it's it's really just a matter of being stubborn and believing in in your ideas. Um, you know, just just seeing, you know, feeling. I guess feeling like it's it's worthwhile to see it through. And your your goal is just to see it through. You know, however it goes. Um.
0: <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the the combat in the game, which I really liked and does feel like you know a good modernization of it. The the lack of random battles is. Chef's kiss. Love that. Any game that doesn't have random battles that you can kind of, you know, decide at least as options of, on how you would approach particular areas, or you can make sure, you know, I'm going to heal up because I can see there's something just off the, off the screen there. Um, tell me about how you wanted to design and uh, modernize the, the combat for a, a game that can be played in, in 2023.
1: We haven't had as many turn-based games for about, you know, probably about the last sort of 15, 20 years uh, as we, we certainly once did. Um, So I actually went back to Final Fantasy X on the PS2 uh, Because what that Essentially did is it took a lot of the elements From Final Fantasy 1, 2 and 3 The sort of pure turn based format uh, And it crafted a more Complex idea around them Um, Because It had things like you could see your turn order On the side of the screen And so what that meant is that you know, you can strategize ahead of time. You can see, okay, well, this character is going to go then and then the enemy is going to attack there. And so what do I have to do to get around that? Um, and so that was my starting point. And from there, I guess I, I really just thought about different elements from different RPGs where it's like, okay, well, that's an interesting mechanic. Will that gel with everything else that we've got going on here? Um, you know, I, I wanted to have a, uh, a limit break system, which is, you know, obviously everyone knows from seven and onwards and that sort of thing. And, you um, that, but but like one of the things that I always felt about that system is that because every individual character has their own bar, uh, sometimes you get like a character's bar built up and it's a limit break that you don't want. Like it doesn't actually, it's not got got any use for you at that particular moment. Uh, so the way I handled it was I I gave uh, a party wide bar. So when that bar fills up, anyone in the party can use their limit break, uh, what we call a mega burst. (laughs) And, um, Yeah, so it was things really like that, I guess, where I'm just like I'm looking at different uh, different games, different mechanics, even small things, just in terms of like how mechanics are presented. Um, You know, uh, late in development, uh, I really you know came to the decision that okay, we probably need to show health bars because that uh, adds a lot more strategic potential to the game uh, when you can actually see where an enemy's uh, standing is. Um, So it was really just a gradual process of a lot of playing the game, a lot of testing things out. Uh, but starting sort of, you know, from well-trodden ground and trying to iterate on uh, old ideas.
0: Tell me a little bit about that iteration process. Uh, is it something that you were going to, you know, external people playing it in the game, in the world? Were you sending it off to colleagues and all that sort of thing? Or did you have a really good process of sort of whittling down, um, you know, what the core of something had to be within your own team?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's really just a lot of going with your gut feeling, um, And just think of, you know, like trying something, like playing something, and just feeling like, okay, this feels right. This, this feels like it gels. It feels like it has the right pace in battle and stuff like that. Um, It's, it's, yeah, it's not so much by committee. um, At least in well, the way the way that we handled it, anyway, it was more just a sense of like, okay, this feels right. This feels like it's going to add the right thing to the player experience, Um, and and of course, that's tempered by a lot of experience playing dozens and dozens of these games and having sort of like you know looked into them and really tried to study them and understand them and understand why they work um so it's not just like a you know complete hail mary uh situation but it, it's definitely there's a lot that just is going off uh, of feel and how how the game feels and uh trying to make the most
0: informed decision based on that have you got a good example of something that you wanted to put in the game but it just didn't have that right feel that you decided it's got to go
1: yeah you know, it's it's funny right because there's not a lot where that did happen. Um there was one uh mechanic which was from the first game. And that was uh the first game basically uh used like a color element system. So you had like a you know, your characters were like a, a blue character, a green character, and a red character. And so, you know, the blue character would deal more against green enemies and you know that that type of thing. Um oh sorry, blue, blue would deal more against red. Uh, But anyway, yeah, that type of thing. And so at at the start of development, I was, you know, thinking along the lines of that color element system uh, in this game too. And it was very quickly apparent that that was not going to work in a a more complex battle system with, you know, more characters. And, uh, you know, it it could also be like kind of limiting on terms of creating like monsters and stuff like that because if the monster's got to be, you know, (laughs) painted blue or whatever, it sort of doesn't always look right. Um, so that was definitely one element. There was another element which was um, we've got an airship battle mini game, uh, and that when it started out, it was a much more complicated thing, which was more similar to a normal RPG battle. Uh, so you had sort of you know like a, a list of commands and all these different abilities, and you would sort of direct characters around the airship to different stations. And it was way too complicated for what it needed to be. Uh, So that got, like, simplified into a, you know, uh, something much more, like, digestible as just like a a mini game. Um, So, yeah, a few little things like that. But most things ultimately made it in. They were just sort of improved uh, as time went on.
0: I'm really curious. For me, when I think about really long RPGs, they they are an experience that I really loved at the time, that I spent a lot of time playing as a kid, but I just don't have the time for them now, and it has actually going to really change my interaction with that style of game and I'm curious, have you? is that something you experience in your life um, now and uh, was that a consideration in the design of this game?
1: It's definitely something I experience now um, working on an RPG means you don't get to finish as many RPGs I would say, um, but it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm like okay, that's that's kind of one of the funniest things about uh, this game is that it was really it was intended to be like a twenty-hour experience. It ended up being about a thirty to forty-hour experience, um, and that was partially just uh, the I guess a bit of my naivety when planning out the game in terms of how big it would end up being um, with that original plan. Um, but at the same time, it's also a fairly, I guess we could say, flexible RPG. Like a lot of that is optional content. Um, and what I really tried to do as it stands is make sure that the game was paced really well, so that even if you only have, like, 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, you could hit a big story beat, you could beat a a dungeon and a boss, uh, anything like that where you could actually make significant progress and have it feel meaningful every time you picked up the game. So even if you are, you know, playing over a long period of time, it's it's going to feel rewarding every time you actually start up the game no matter how much time you actually have to put in. Um, so that, that was a really big consideration, and that really comes down to pacing.
0: What about coming back to the game as well? If people have taken time away, stepped away, I know I get busy in these things as well. What do you do to make sure that that experience, when people come back into it, is is easier for them to, to jump back in and, and play for another 30 minutes and then maybe not for a week?
1: Yeah, so uh, a lot of that is trying to subtly guide the player, uh, whether that's through you know, sort of limiting the space that they can explore at a particular point in the game, or having a character on your airship who's like, hey, you need to go here. Um, you know, little things like that. Uh, but usually I try and take a more subtle approach where it's like, okay, well, you're in this area, you have sort of these three places you can go. Um, so, you know, it's it, it sort of, um, you know, naturally guides you. But usually, you know, like there's someone you can talk to that's going to point you in the right direction or, Um, you know, some other little way that we tried to, you know, funnel the player in the right direction.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about the team um, that worked on this game? I know Critical Games kind of looks like it's Josh Halloran, but um, who are the people who helped bring this to life over the last several years?
1: So uh, we have Sebastian Cruz. He's our composer. Uh, He's from Chile and he has worked with me since 2012. So uh, we've got a long uh, relationship, so... Uh, he composed the full 78-song soundtrack uh, and I think he, he did a really good job. He's uh, he, he learned how to make NES-style music on the first 8-bit adventures um, and and uh, then tried to like really take that a step further uh, with this game because he tries to use things like the Konami chips. I don't know if you know anything about that, but basically like Konami would use uh, more advanced chips in some of their games to create more complex music. Uh, so he, you know, he tried to play around with some of that. Uh, there's Joram Fahy, and he uh, is from uh, Newcastle, actually. So uh, he's not too far away from me uh, in Australia, and um, he uh, is just a, a wonderful artist. He, he's got a real talent for pixel art, and so he uh, he basically he created every visual element in this game, uh, which, looking back, is is an insane feat. Um, and then we've got Sufian Noor. Uh, he's in Indonesia, and um, he uh, did all the programming for the game, basically. So he came up with our, uh, like well, he he developed all the systems that I designed on paper uh, into functional mechanical uh, elements of the game. Yeah, um, but yeah, in, in terms of just like working on working on the game itself, it's uh, been us for since twenty fifteen. <laughs>
0: It is, as we're talking, not that far away before, while people can actually play this game, something you've been working on for more than, what, seven years or so uh, in the process of doing this. How do you feel at this moment?
1: A little terrified. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's a really hard thing to release a game. Uh, I think any, any developer will tell you that. Um, just because you do put so much of, of yourself into it, everyone on the team does, and so, you know, sort of putting that out and allowing people to, you know, play it and critique it is, is a frightening thing. But at the same time, it's, it's also exactly what you want because you, you know, more than anything as a developer, you want people to actually play your work. Um, and I, you know, that's really, I guess the other flip side is that I'm really excited. I'm excited to hear what other people think about it. I'm excited to, uh, you know, see people talk about different elements of it and, you know, maybe notice some of our our decisions, and uh, you know, debate whether they're good or bad decisions, or you know, all that stuff that comes with the game release. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a mix of fear and excitement, but uh, I, I think at this point, it's starting to lean on excitement.
0: <laughs> that's that's creating things, isn't it? That's what it comes down to. Um, if you're looking for uh, to find out more about the game, you can find Eight Bit Adventures Two on Steam. Um, you can do a search for that; you should be able to find it pretty easily but we'll chuck a show uh, a note in the show notes so you can click through and see where it is uh josh thank you so much for joining us good luck with the release uh and uh hopefully we'll get you back on earlier than in seven years time for the next game i
1: i'd I'd love that i'd absolutely love that yeah i hopefully i'm I'm thinking two-year development cycles is the way to go in future
0: (laughs) you're listening to Lightmap: interesting conversations with video game creators Sifter is produced by Fiona Bartholomew, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou. Mitch Lowe is our senior producer, and my name is Gianni Di Giovanni. I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio uh, for their support of Sifter's podcast. You can find everything we talked about, including a link to Eight Bit Adventures on the SIFTA website, which is sifta.com.au and read more about the games and the guests that we've featured. And if you want to support us, there's two things you can do. You can share the show and tell your mates and say that this is uh, something you enjoy and spend time with and they can check it out for free. That's the best thing you can do. Uh, It doesn't cost you anything and it makes a big difference. But if you want to make a contribution to us from as little as a dollar a month, you can jump on uh, sifta.com.au forward slash support uh, and then show uh, that you are a backer of independent Australian video games journalism so that is sifter.com.au slash support or share us with your mates for free that's all for now thank you so much for joining us Josh yep my pleasure it's been a great uh, fun being on here and we'll see you on the next episode of Light Map and until next time have fun
1: Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is finally here, continuing the ambitious reimagining of a beloved classic. It's very, very funny. I guess like that's that's part of the silliness, you know. Like you have this these really big world-ending stakes. You know, Sephiroth is a really terrifying villain. You know, the world ending, and I think to have a game that is still fun and pleasant to play, I think maybe the tone is kind of it's important to strike both tones because you need that levity so that it's not constantly depressing, you know? And I think so having the characters have that humour and like having the minigames and having it be a little bit lighter hearted, I think does give you that hope. Does it uphold the legacy of the famous original or burn Midgar to ashes to forge its own path? Find out on Drop Rate, Available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts.